Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. As we step into Habakkuk, I was reading this week, uh, uh, a writer in the Atlantic uh, by the name of John Dickerson was writing about uh, a bit of presidential history and specifically like how presidents uh, can learn from their predecessors. And over the course of this reflection, uh, he, a couple of examples came to mind that I thought might be worth sharing with you. And one was that in 1913, uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, after he was elected, he made this remark, uh, uh, quote, uh, it would be an irony of fate if my administration had to deal chiefly with foreign affairs, for all of my preparation has been in domestic matters. Right? And that was 1913, a little more than a year after his inauguration, World War, World War I began. So the irony you hear there of this declaration. Uh, and then uh, a bit later, another example that uh, Dickerson gives us in 1928, Herbert Hoover right, accepted his party's nomination and proclaimed that Americans were nearer, okay, this is 1928, quote, nearer to the final triumph over poverty than ever before in the history of any land. Uh, 1928, a year later, uh, with the coming of the Great Depression, more than 60% of the country earned less than the amount necessary to support a family. So Dickerson is talking about presidents and this, this pattern, right, that, that they inevitably have to prepare for something they're not prepared for, that they couldn't even envision or anticipate. And in writing and reflecting, he, he moves on to a more present-day example, uh, not, not a presidential example, but Condoleezza Rice, former U.S. Secretary of State, reflecting on, on this um, tendency or this uh, experience of the preparing for the presidency. And she says in this conversation with Dickerson, it's the unexpected that will catch them. Uh, she said of new presidents, every, every time, every candidate promises, quote, on day one, I will, is what she said. But then she goes on to say, quote, the world doesn't accord with the world that they thought they were going to be able to shape. And that, that phrase kind of lingers with me as I sit with Habakkuk. The world doesn't accord with the world that they thought they were going to be able to shape. As we read Habakkuk, again, it's a short book. If you haven't read it, we read it in its entirety a couple of weeks ago here. Uh, but I'd invite you to read it. But Habakkuk is facing a world that doesn't accord, right? Uh, it just, for him specifically, a world that doesn't accord with what he knows, as we saw last week to be true of God's character. Uh, and, and the world, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't line up. It doesn't accord with what he knows to be true of the way that God has promised to work in the world. And so Habakkuk laments, as we saw last week, how long, O oh Lord? He, he laments, how long? Well, this week, we, we hear God offering a response. Again, I think perhaps that is a, a space we understand, the world not according with, with how we think it ought to go or uh, what we know to be true, perhaps of God and his character. And, and Habakkuk gives us language. He helps us in that moment. How long? But this week we find God responding, uh, which in itself, I think, ought to give us some hope, right? That Habakkuk at least helps us see what it's like to engage in this kind of frustration and struggle. Uh, regardless of what unfolds after, I do think it gives me uh, at least a, a bit of hope to know that in, in my own struggle to interpret the world around me, God is listening and he responds. And uh, it's what he does uh, to Habakkuk here. He, he responds. 
answers him. But I think what we discover in our reading this morning is that God's answer, a bit like those presidential examples uh, with which we started, it requires Habakkuk to anticipate or imagine the the unimaginable. Uh, what we saw in the bit that we read this morning is that God is is prompting him, and we'll consider what he says, but he's prompting Habakkuk to consider or imagine the the unimaginable. So here's, here's God's answer in summary, which is on the card that we gave to you and sent to you if you're joining us over Zoom. Uh, God says, I hear you, right? Habakkuk's like, how long will you let violence happen in your people, right? Injustice. And God says, I hear you, Habakkuk, I hear you. In fact, I'm sending in the Babylonians, right? And uh, you're like, well, that's great. That means nothing to us. But again, a bit of context. And we, we see it in our reading this morning. I'll, I'll just read it to you. Listen to this description. He says, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, which is another word for the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And then God goes into, we didn't read all of this, but in his uh, response, he goes into this detailed description of just how terrible this people, uh, this this nation, this this, uh, geopolitical power uh, is. And and things like uh, greed and cruelty and arrogance and and self-sufficiency and idolatry, all these things come up. I mean, listen, he says, they are dreaded and fearsome. Uh, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So they decide, they kind of, they set all the rules themselves. Their horses, gets really vivid here, are swifter than leopards, more fierce than uh, the evening wolves. The horsemen press proudly on. They come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour, right? If this weren't judgment, this would be like riveting reading, particularly if I had an accent, but uh, they all come, everything sounds better with an English accent, but uh, they all come for violence. All their faces are forward. At kings, they scoff. At rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress and they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. Right? So this is God's answer to Habakkuk. I hear you, buddy. I know things aren't looking so good. Don't worry. I'm sending in the Babylonians, right? So when we were reading it, right, your laughter, I think, accords well with a bit of what Habakkuk must be experiencing, right? Like, God, are, are, are you kidding me? I mean, we can understand his response in verse 13, which we did read this morning. He, he articulates it really clearly. He says, God, why, why do you look idly at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked, that is the Babylonians, swallow up the man more righteous than himself. So he's, he's, he's looking at God and saying, how could you possibly solve this problem with that solution, right? These are your people. I know we're getting it wrong, but we're the righteous ones. And you're going to send in, you're, you're going to use someone even more unrighteous and violent to, to solve the problem of injustice and violence. Here, this, he says, doesn't accord. This doesn't. This doesn't work. And he struggles with it. He, again, uh, like maybe your laughter betrays, says, God, please be serious. I, I was, we were reading a book with the girls last night about fairies. I don't know. It's hard to stay engaged, right? It really is. Uh, so they all start to sound the same and, uh, you know, anyway, but I'm reading along and I got to the end of a chapter and it was a cliffhanger, right? The, they were opening this gift and there'd been lots of buildup and, uh, I closed the, but there was no reveal, right? So they're like, they got the package, but they didn't open it. And I closed the book. I'm like, I'm done. They're like, no. And I'm like, ah, oh, we'll save it for tomorrow. No. And, uh, so, you know, I kind of playfully played along and they're like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I'll, I'll read you just the first sentence. And, 
So I read them the first sentence. I read it literally out of the book and, and they looked at me, right? So I, I read them, but this is what they found. And they looked at me like, because I'd been sort of so sarcastic all along and untruthful, really, let's be honest, uh, in the back and forth, kind of teasing them. Uh, they were like, are you serious? Like, is, is that really what it says? They didn't believe me, right? Dad, be serious, right? And I kept pressing it. Dad, dad, be serious. And I feel like Habakkuk in this moment, Oh, that's his struggle. Like, God, are, are you kidding me with this? Like, really? Like, this is your answer. You're going to solve uh, this problem with that solution. God, be, be serious, right? Quit, quit messing with me right now. Habakkuk himself will go on to, to give the description of what this people is like. It was the imagery Aaron read for us. Uh, he says, God, you created man like the fish, right? They're just, you just created them. There's, they're multitudes, right? And then he says, uh, it goes on to describe what it's like uh, to have the Babylonians come in like fishermen with their hooks. They're just, they're just capturing and, and wreaking their violence and havoc with this vivid description of their fish hooks and worshiping their nets, right? This imagery, again, of God, you, you can't be serious, which I think raises the question, all right? So if that's the, the answer, and that's where we are in the reading this morning, I think it raises the question, well, you know, what do we do with this, right? What, what, what do we do with, what do we do with this as we read it, as we think about God and his character, as we've sung, God, you're good, you're good, right? Like what, what, what do we do with this? Is there any hope in here? And, and what hope is there if there is to be found, uh, in this passage? Well, I, I just want to maybe offer a couple of suggestions, uh, again, um, and, uh, they might be just really on the nose, right? Just maybe too plain to state. But we're just going to state them anyway. And the first one, Pam has helped us to see already. We've already reflected on. But I think the first one, just right up front, Habakkuk uh, is being challenged or invited by God to trust that he's at work. Right? To just trust that he's at work. And in Habakkuk specifically, it's not just in the micro, the details of his life. It's in the, it's in the macro, right? The, like, the, the socio-political, geopolitical movements of the world that God made. He is telling Habakkuk, this world is mine and I'm at work. And, and there is, I think, in there, right? Even though, as we'll see in a moment, we don't quite understand it, there is hope in there for us. There is, there is hope in, in that truth that in a world specifically that only values human work, that really only values what we can do. On a personal level, it's how we can sort of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and what we can achieve for ourselves, right? Like it's, it's what we can do in the face of global crises. It's, it's human effort and what we can solve. And all of those things often are admirable and good. But, but in a world that really only considers human work, Habakkuk is being invited by God to consider that, that there is another truth, that in the midst of all that effort and striving and questioning and, and all that Habakkuk is experiencing, uh, God is telling him, I, I am at work, inviting him to trust that I am working presently in this. And, and it doesn't, I know it doesn't accord with your understanding. And it's, it's hard and, and details, we, you know, it brings all sorts of its own questions. But in the midst of all of that, there is a, a pull towards hope from God in this moment to trust that he's at work. And, and I would think that could find application in your life or mine on a personal, again, on a micro or a macro level, that whatever we might be experiencing uh, in the ups and downs, stresses of our own lives, the, the stress to rely, uh, I, I think perhaps 
uh, in really acute ways, the limitations of our own effort and human work have been exposed over the last six months. And in the midst of all of that, maybe in your life, you trying to balance uh, educating children at home and maintaining your career or, or caring for those who are sick or all the different ways maybe we have stepped into the struggles in our world at this moment, injustice that moves you to act, all of those things. God says, yeah, in the midst of all that effort, I see it. It's good. But but he invites you to consider that he is at work. God is at work in the world. So that's the first just application. So I, I don't know what that might mean for you as you bring your own struggle and questions and concerns into a conversation of faith. Uh, but God to all of us says, I am working. I'm working in the world. Uh, will you trust me? Uh, but there is another application here, which I think flows out of the first one. Right, that God is at work in the world, but and this second one, I think again, it's just a slight nuance, but we see it in. I think we see it maybe a little more concretely in the passage, and and the 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 second application that I hope would just breathe a little bit of hope is that God is at work even when our perspective is limited. Right, so uh, again, that that God is at work even when our perspective uh, is limited, and our perspective is always limited, always. Uh, just a, a couple of ways we see this in the passage. I think the first one that flows out, uh, out of kind of the first point we made, uh, what, what God is, is, when God tells Habakkuk, look, you see the Babylonians are coming, uh, I'm at work in this. Uh, there's sort of something happening culturally here that in the day of Habakkuk, you know, which, you know, it's a little bit different now, but gods were, were regionally culturally defined, right? Like they were kind of tied to the plot of ground and the bit of land. And, and you went up to this high place to worship this God. And they, they were, all these things were kind of regionally, even geographically defined. And with this move, uh, God is nudging Habakkuk. Well, I know this is how the world seems to accord for you, but I, I'm telling you, all of this is mine, all of it. And, uh, and with that subtle nudge, right, he's, he's moving Habakkuk and us to shift the perspective a little bit, that our perspective is limited, and maybe in our own lives we've drawn all these lines, and, and you know, the, our worship practices maybe are different today than in the Old Testament, the ancient Near East, but, uh, but that move is still there where we kind of sort of compartmentalize and draw all these lines, and God is saying, no, all, all of this is mine, and I, I, I am God, and I am at work. Uh, and your perspective is limited in this regard, and so he's nudging Habakkuk. I think that's the first way we see it, but I think we also see it in this passage with the language of, of time. Uh, so, so there's there's a bit of, of, of time language here. Uh, I, I have them here again. Uh, here's here's the first one. This was in our reading. So again, just by way of context, uh, uh, let's see. This is verse. 12. So a little bit earlier, uh, we didn't read it today. Uh, Habakkuk starts with how long. So it's, he's wrestling with the tension of time, right? How long, God, will this continue? And then he moves here in this moment, God has answered him. I'm sending the Babylonians. And, and his response is interesting, right? There's, he just sort of, uh, it's an interesting moment for him to make this declaration. Are you not from everlasting? Right, so time again is creeping in his experience of the world and his time in that world. Are you not from everlasting? But then look where he finishes here at the end. So that's his description of God. And then he says, God, you know, how are you going to use the Babylonians? They're more violent than the people you're, you're judging. Uh, and he, he gets into this description of them again as fishermen with hooks. And, and then he uses this description of the Babylonians in this rhetorical question. Is he then to keep on, he being the Babylonian, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Right? So he's just declared, God, you are from everlasting. 
And now here he's acknowledging that this moment of struggle and pain and difficulty feels unending, right? That, that there is this tension. God, the experience that I'm in now seems to have no end. Will there be any end to this, to this moment? And I, again, I think that's a tension we can relate to. Uh, and I don't know what your, what your lived experience has been, but no doubt there have been moments of intensity or suffering or struggle, good and bad, right? Uh, things in, and ways in which the world didn't accord with what you expected positively or negatively. And uh, oftentimes in those negative moments of suffering, the question of how long will, will this just continue unendingly? And that, the wrestle, that struggle with our experience in that moment of what we're experiencing in our perspective of time. And I think it's interesting what, what happens here uh, for Habakkuk. Right, he's, he's, he's admitting, God, okay, you're going to work in this. The Babylonians are coming. This just, it seems like this is going to continue perpetually. They're so powerful. They're so strong. They're so violent, right? They, they make their own rules. They, uh, like this, will this continue forever. That feeling of his suffering really having no end. But what he's done is he's anchored that rhetorical question at the end. That experience, right? his experience of the world around him, he, he, he's anchored that pain and that confusion and that frustration in, in a more certain truth, which for Habakkuk is where he started. God is from everlasting that he existed before the struggle and he will exist after, that his perspective on this moment in my life, this intensity, this struggle, that his perspective on this is from everlasting. And this feels eternal, but God, I know that you and your character are everlasting. And for Habakkuk, this truth gives him hope. I mean, look at his declaration back up in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. There, there, is, there is a sense in which his understanding of who God is gives him hope uh, to hang on in this moment. Again, it's a, it's a question of perspective. I thought maybe to help us here, um, I, have a, I have an art image uh, installation here. This is from a guy. Uh, you might be familiar with him, been around for a while, I think. His name's Michael Murphy, and uh, he's an American artist uh, in Brooklyn, lives and work in Brooklyn, and uh, he, he sets up what are called uh, anamorphic sculptures, all right? And these are, are two-dimensional illusions uh, in three-dimensional space, right? So what we see here is, is this kind of two-dimensional image. It's an eye, right? And there are all sorts of examples. If you want to explore his work, feel free to do that. This is just one, one example, but uh, again, his name is Michael Murphy. Uh, so he sets up an image that, that appears to us in, in two dimensions, but but is created uh, in three-dimensional space. So if we'll move to the next one, you'll see what looks to be uh, just a flat image. He's created by hanging, I think it was around like 1,500 or so, 2,000 uh, wooden wooden balls that he had, he had painted at varying heights and depths uh, to to create uh, the image that you see from, from one particular perspective as an eye. But as you move around it, you realize that this image has much different shape and, and depth. And he's done this with all sorts of things. You can explore other examples. Often, many of them, when you look at them from one perspective, will say one thing or, or present one image. A popular one is Michael Jordan. And, and you're looking at one image of, of the shoe, like an Air Jordan. But as you move around it, it becomes uh, the iconic image of him sort of like, well, I can't do it, right? I'm, I'm not a baller. I don't know. Uh, this is getting awkward now. But you get that that image of him like, like fly, Air Jordan, right, where we get Air. Jordan. But what, what I think, again, what he helps us to see visually, and he, he has all sorts of 
uh, work and, and uh, social commentary uh, as you dive more deeply into his stuff. But uh, I think what he pulls us into in a very physical way uh, is, is that perspective, we, 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 he exposes for us that our perspective is limited. Uh, and that uh, that really, I think, how this might help you and me as we read through Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk's struggle is not, uh, uh, right, he's lamenting and, and doubting, but even it's not really about doubt. He still maintains communion and relationship with God. His, his struggle, you know, he's not uh, questioning God's justice. He, he's admitting his truth, but acknowledging that the world doesn't accord. What, what he's struggling with is that he's, I don't have the perspective, God, to see. I can't see my way around what you're telling me. I can't see my way uh, to the end of your ways in the world. I know I'm not I'm not questioning. I know you are faithful and just and good and from everlasting. But what I'm experiencing doesn't accord with what I know to be true and and he's admitting, he's confessing. He's he's stepping into a place all of us are invited into to admit that our perspective is limited. That our perspective is limited, that God is working in the world even when we can't see it. It it reminds me again of an oft quoted passage of scripture. If you've been around church from Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? Neither are my ways or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, it's that, I think it's a gospel pull uh, to acknowledge that our not only is our work limited, but our perspective is limited. And uh, Habakkuk is making that move here and invites us into it as well. And in that move, he finds hope. He finds hope, as we'll see in the coming weeks, in a more specific and concrete way. Uh, hope in knowing that God, uh, that God's perspective is not limited. Not only is God at work, but He's not confined or constrained or misguided or uh, uh, headed in the wrong direction because of His limited perspective. God, He says, is everlasting. He's everlasting. And even though, for Habakkuk, right, even though the world does not accord, right, it doesn't match up, and maybe that's true for you uh, this morning, right? You're wrestling through with Habakkuk to the truth that God is at work, and his perspective is not limited, even when I can't see it. Which, I think, once again, brings me to the gospel. Right, if there was ever a moment... When the expression, God, the world does not accord, I can't see through to the end of this. I think it, I think it hits us full, full bore in the person of Jesus. Right? This, this idea that you have to imagine the unimaginable or expect what, what you would never possibly expect as those presidential examples with which we started. Uh, in, in the person of Christ and Jesus, I think we, we bump into that same reality that God is, is at work in ways we cannot expect that are often surprising or difficult to understand. And I, I just, I can't help but wonder if, if the same feeling that Habakkuk feels in this moment, you're going to solve this problem with that solution must have been running through the minds of the disciples on Good Friday. God, your answer to injustice and evil and the oppression of the Romans is to lay your life down on on a cross. You're going to fix this with that. The world did not accord 
for them and often doesn't for us. The cross uh, does not accord. God, how is God laying down his life at the hands of the Romans going to work any kind of justice or undo any amount of evil? You're going to fix this with that? Be serious, right? Be serious. Uh, And yet, and yet we discover, as Paul tells us in Corinthians, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. And yet, and yet it is the power of God. This, I think, is the hope of the gospel, right? That God is at work. God is at work even in the cross. He is at work. The work is his and not ours. Yes, Good Friday was a shock to the system, no doubt, for the disciples, but so was Easter. And this, I think, is where Habakkuk invites us this morning. Whatever your experience of those questions might be, uh, God, uh, most clearly through the work of Jesus, invites you to consider that he's at work even when you can't see it, even in the midst of suffering, even when it doesn't make sense, and to trust that his perspective is not limited. So I, I don't know what that might look like for you or what that expression of hope. Well, I've given you some questions on the card in your, in your seat to maybe help you. Uh, as you attend to, maybe take it with you this week, but as you attend to what it might look like uh, to fix your eyes on the God who is at work, even when you can't see it. We're going to sing one more song as we close. I, I, uh, it's been a long time since I've made a Wendell Berry reference. Uh, he's a farmer in Kentucky and has written lots of stuff that I have really enjoyed. Uh, one of my favorites is a little book about, uh, by a guy named, uh, about a guy named Jaber Crow. And, uh, while these guys are coming up, I'll just talk about Jaber Crow for a moment. But if, if, if there's a way to bring the experience of the gospel into, into your kind of personal experience in life, I, I thought, uh, we went to the, to the story of, of Jaber Crow, who, uh, again, this is something he says. He had been to seminary and left, and then he's a barber in a small rural town. This is a story about his life. But he makes this observation about his life. If, if you could do it, I suppose, he says, it'd be a good idea to live your life in a straight line. You know, starting, say, in the dark wood of error and then proceeding by logical steps through hell and purgatory and into heaven. It's just this straight arrow shot. You just kind of grow and move. And he's like, man, but for me, that has not been the truth. That's not the way I have done it. So far, he says, I'm, I'm a pilgrim and my pilgrimage has been wandering and unmarked. Often he says, what has looked like a straight line to me has been a circle or a doubling back. Maybe that's been your experience and your own expression of faith. He says, I'm an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley. And yet, for a long time, looking back, I have been unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. And I think, I think that's the, the maybe personal application of the much larger truth Habakkuk is inviting us into, that even when we can't see it, God is at work. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.